they're always thinking about growth. They're always thinking about what's next. They're always thinking about um, products they can design and how they can they can crush the competition. And they're not thinking about how to clean up their messes. And they're not thinking about how to to you know retain the users they already have by making the products higher quality. In 2012, Facebook bought Instagram for $1 billion. Today, Instagram is estimated to be worth $100 billion. To get those kind of results, sometimes you have to break a few things along the way. I'm Chris Hill, and that was Sarah Fryer, tech reporter for Bloomberg News and author of the award-winning book, No Filter, The Inside Story of Instagram. Ricky Mulvey caught up with her to talk about how Facebook, now known as Meta Platforms, focus on growth at all costs affects Instagram's user experience today. The fundamental reason behind the company's shift to the metaverse and a lot more. We're more than 10 years from then Facebook buying Instagram. Does Is, is Instagram in danger of losing that cachet? They don't have their, the, the co-founders aren't there anymore. People are moving to TikTok. Instagram is seen as different. And part of that was the building blocks that uh, Kevin Systrom built when when founding it, which was it's going to be this simple platform. Is it losing that simplicity though? Is it just going to be eaten alive by by Facebook? Oh, it's absolutely losing its simplicity, losing what made it, it great in the beginning. Listen, people went to Instagram because it was just easy. You would go to Instagram, you knew exactly what to do. You take a photo, you post it with a filter, and suddenly you're everyday moments have turned into these nostalgic memories and you know they have this collection of art about your life essentially and now when you go to instagram imagine being a new user of instagram and you're going and you have like five different ways to post video you could you could post on your reels you can go post on igtv you can put something in your highlights you can put something in your story oh by the way your story disappears after 24 hours but you if you put it on the feed it stays there oh but sometimes if your video is too long on the feed it'll bump people to igtv it's just so not simple <laughs> and and i think that that is exactly I mean, there are probably some people listening to this podcast who don't even understand half those words i said because they're just used to using instagram and the main way that it was always um designed in in its launch in 2010 um you know there's always a balance right platforms have to grow to compete um they have to give someone give their their great content creator something fresh and new to stand out with however <laughs> you can try to be too many things to too many people and i think that that's that's one of the issues at Instagram since the founder's departure, Instagram has become the venue for Facebook to try to fight for the young person demographic. And so everything they do is in service of trying to be relevant to young people, which is to say they have a competitor to YouTube, they have a competitor to TikTok, they have a competitor to the messaging apps all within the same product. And I think that it gets confusing. And, it, and I think you're right, it could, it could ultimately lose um, the, the simplicity and purpose that brought people to it in the first place. What, was, what did Kevin Systrom and Mike Krieger 
what did they hope Instagram would become when they started it in 2010? When, when Bourbon was shutting down and Instagram was starting up, did they have that five-year, 10-year timeline? Or was this just the next idea that became a $100 billion asset for, for Meta? I, I think that they didn't have... They didn't anticipate that this would be what it turned out to be. But once they started to see it gain momentum, once they joined Facebook and saw, oh, wait, the way that we do things is really different... People actually like Instagram. They like posting here. They they enjoy tailoring their lives to Instagram. Like the the impact of Instagram on our everyday life, um, it's visible. You can see people arranging their their weddings, their vacations, the way that they date, the way that they dress, the way that they eat. It's it's all changed. Um, the way that they work out all changed because of Instagram. And I think when they started to see that and notice that, they started to think, wow, this thing could actually be bigger than Facebook one day. Um, this is this is something that has real potential to be like something that grows in line with, with popular culture as uh, regular people strive to become influencers and as celebrities strive to become influencers. You know, everyone was was trying to work in both directions. And I think that Facebook recognized that. And instead of letting it thrive in that direction, Mark Zuckerberg became jealous. Um, He became threatened. Uh, He didn't want Instagram to... And and this was a big surprise in the reporting for my book, No Filters, just that Mark Zuckerberg looked at this and said, we don't want Instagram to cannibalize Facebook. We don't want this to become bigger than Facebook. In fact, we want to use the popularity of Instagram to drive people into Facebook. One thing you wrote in No Filter that I think really exemplifies that is he, meaning Zuckerberg, asked Systrom to build a prominent link within the Instagram app to send his users to Facebook and alongside the Facebook newsfeed. In the navigation of all of the social network's other prospects, like groups and events, Zuckerberg removed the link to Instagram. Yeah. Facebook tried to essentially work against the asset that it bought. It didn't want it to grow bigger than um, the property that it purchased. Um, do you think that jealousy, that um, essentially working against this now multi-billion dollar asset, is that what led the co-founders to leave the company? Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't just that. It was the the hands-on direction from Zuckerberg. They, they were told that they would be able to be independent. And now everything that they were trying to build, Zuckerberg had very strong opinions about. One example being when they did finally launch IGTV, um, Kevin Systrom, the CEO of Instagram, got a call from Zuckerberg that day or a call from his manager who had just heard from Zuckerberg. And it wasn't like, oh, congrats on the big launch. The call was, your logo looks too much like the Facebook Messenger logo. Was it had the the lightning <laughs> it had bolt? A, like a squiggly in it. Uh, you know, the, this looks too much like the Facebook Messenger logo and it was anger. And, and I think that that's, you know, how they thought this is, this is how it's going to go. This is just really when you're in a position where you can't get anything done because everything is, is controversial with your boss, um, that makes for an uncomfortable future. So now Adam Seri runs Instagram. He's the former head of newsfeed. He's been running it since uh, 2018 and the company 
the Instagram is, is so much more closely integrated with Facebook. You see it in e-commerce, you see it in messaging. In fact, Instagram messaging, it works under the same team as messenger and they're trying to combine those, or they have combined those products and they're going to combine that with WhatsApp. And it's all supposed to um, become this mega network, which is um, ultimately Zuckerberg's goal is that he has the largest group of connected humans in the world. You've also reported on how Systrom called Zuckerberg more of a board member than a boss. Um, he was more, hey, we're not, we're not going to take you over. We're just, we're going to advise you. The employees are going to stay in place. What do you think the turning point was? Where they realized, oh, uh, when they acquired us, they actually bought the company, even though you know we put all of our worth into this this company. They bought us out, and now we have a new boss. Where do you think that turning point was, where Facebook became that boss and not just an advisor to Instagram? Well, I think it was it was in Kevin Systrom's interest to frame himself as still the boss for the entirety of of his tenure. I mean, he didn't even report to Mark Zuckerberg. That wasn't his direct manager when he was when he was there in the beginning. Um, so I, he reported to to someone below Zuckerberg. So I think I think that that was that was in his interest. And then when the the thing that really surprised me is when Instagram started, there was all this myth uh, around Instagram being an independent product within Facebook. Well, when they started, one of the first things that happened is Facebook's growth team came and asked. Um, for Instagram's numbers and then said, you know what, we need to run a study to see if Instagram is the reason that people are, are not posting photos as often on Facebook. And we're, we can't let you grow until we find out the conclusion of that study. So everything was sort of on hold for a bit. And the, the Instagram guy was like, what? You just spent, you just offered a billion dollars for our company, which, um, you know, was unheard of for a mobile app at the time. And you're willing to let this asset wither if it's at all competitive to Facebook. Like that, that seemed crazy to them. And that study was inconclusive and they were allowed to, to grow. I, I think Facebook, Facebook did manage to ignore Instagram for a while. Cause it just, I don't think they really respected what Instagram was doing. Um, the fact that Instagram was doing direct user outreach and cultivating celebrities, all these things that Facebook thought would be a total waste of time that actually worked. Um, it wasn't until, I would say, 2015 that Zuckerberg said, you know, I, I want a billion dollars in revenue, in annual revenue from Instagram. So that was really the first directive that, um, that showed Zuckerberg's ambitions with the product went beyond having this little independent asset in more towards um, making up for a slowdown in Facebook's growth. So that started in revenue. And then in 2016, when Instagram copied Snapchat stories, uh, that's the 24-hour disappearing posts that were very popular on Snapchat. Mark Zuckerberg was always about trying to crush the competition, but Facebook hadn't really ever done it successfully. And when Instagram copied Snapchat stories successfully and it actually started to accelerate their growth, Zuckerberg took notice. 
your book discusses how Facebook's paranoia is in its employee handbook, which says, quote, if we don't create the thing that kills Facebook, then someone else will. For the longest time, Facebook's strategy has essentially been copycatting other platforms. Who could forget Lasso in 2017? We could all forget Lasso. We could all forget Lasso. I mean, are, are they still... Is that what they're trying to do with Instagram stories now with, with TikTok, which I feel has become just a repository for things that exist on TikTok and now... Uh, or just copied and pasted to, to Instagram? Or are they going to... Do you see their big growth driver coming from some something completely new with a, either an acquisition or something in the metaverse? You have to look at every move Facebook makes in the context of competition because um, even with the metaverse, even with this area that they're, they're trailblazing in or they, they hope that they're trailblazing in, um, the reason that they're they're going so hard on the metaverse is because they don't own an operating system on mobile. So for the entire existence of, of the company, um, at least as long as it's had a mobile phone product, it's been operating in Apple Sandbox or Google Sandbox, right? It, they haven't really had total control over their destiny. And I think Apple's recent changes to its ad privacy rules, um, which... You know, if you follow Facebook, you know that's what um, caused their stock. One reason their stock dropped by a quarter. Um, now it's down about a third since its earnings in February. That's why they need to build the metaverse. They need to build an environment that they can control, and they are not beholden to the rules of an Apple or a Google in order to ensure the longevity of their business model. Um, and on Instagram, on Facebook, the Reels product, it's its absolutely a copycat of TikTok. What I think is going to become difficult for them is you know, what we learned with Instagram stories, which is you, you can't just copy a product and hope that it works and, and leave it at that. You have to think about what do my users actually want? What problem am I trying to solve for them? Um, is this, some, is this a need that they have that I'm filling? The reason stories work so well as a, as a competitor to Snapchat is because it solved the problem of users on Instagram having such terrible anxiety about everything they posted. Like Instagram had a, had a problem with people who were thinking, well, what I'm doing in my life is not Instagrammable. So I'd, I'm not going to post. Well, once you get Instagram stories, these disappearing posts, then you can post something that you would have otherwise left on the cutting room floor. So it really fit into um, the problem Instagram users had. Who, what problem is Reels trying to solve? It's trying to solve a Facebook problem or a meta problem, which is that they have this competitor in TikTok. But it's not trying to solve a problem that Instagram's users have. And Facebook's made its fair share of mistakes with with Instagram, but I think it, at the core, this is a business they paid a billion dollars for, and now it's it's worth a hundred times that. When you're talking to to early employees at, at Instagram and, and Facebook, did they know that core Facebook interest would wane? Do you think they had the foresight at the time that they needed that next generation social media platform? Well, they were they were rolling their eyes at Facebook from the outset. Um, I, I think every Every quarter is the quarter that people think, oh, well, maybe Facebook will slow down this time. And it's never really happened until this year, which is another reason that the numbers in in February uh, for the end of the year was such a shock. Um, I think that um, 
Instagram, even if they saw the numbers on Facebook continue to go up year after year, they saw the way that it was happening, right? They saw the the red dot notifications luring people back to the site, even though um, there wasn't really anything valuable for them to see. They saw the email that the emails that Facebook would send out to try to rekindle interest from um, users who'd forgotten about Facebook. Um, they saw the um, the clickbait that would go viral on Facebook or the, the kind of junk videos, the um, visual clickbait, you might call them, where you just end up looking at like weird backflip tricks or cake decorating or, um, you know, top five tricks for how to use plastic bags. Like those videos just go viral on, on Facebook, but they're junk. And so Instagram was looking at this and thinking like, we actually curate our content and, and give the best content to, um, to people who come. And we have this human touch that really is unmatched by Facebook. And so I think that we're going to be, we're going to be winning in the long term. Um, what's happened now is, is you see the same kind of, the same kind of lowest common denominator content on Instagram. Um, I think that it's becoming a lot more like Facebook. In No Filter, you write that Facebook's a better place to go viral, but Instagram is a better place to spread lies. What led you to that conclusion in your reporting? Instagram, on Instagram, it's not about the content. It's about the person, right? On Facebook, everything can be reshared. On Instagram, it can't. So when you go to somebody's profile, you are you are seeing only things that they have created, which then makes the profile a good reflection of that person. And you decide, do I want to follow this person? Well, if you follow somebody, you have this connection with him that's like almost like a friendship connection. And they are very influential. Um, what they say, how they say it uh, can be a lot more convincing than if you were to just read a post that went viral on Facebook. And so when we see misinformation go viral on Instagram, it's from people who have a relationship with their audience, like, like an influencer relationship. And we're seeing this, especially in wellness. Um, say you follow, you're, you're a health junkie and, and you, you really care about nutrition. You follow this great nutritionist. And then they start to tell you, well, I don't think you should get the COVID vaccine because who knows what's in it. And, and, um, I'm not getting it. You make your own choice, but I'm not getting it for these reasons. And, um, you know, just using that as part of their overall content. We'll say this is a person you've, you followed their diet plan, you followed their workout plan, and now they're telling you not to do this. You're really going to think about it, even if it's, if it's based on misinformation. Um, and that is the way that misinformation works on Instagram. It's, it's something that is, is more intimate. And then if you are a content moderator trying to find that and, um, and deal with it, you're, you're not going to as easily find it because it's not like this content bubbles up to the top because there's no virality. And the way that Facebook systems work, um, they're trained by artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence spots things that have some sort of momentum. Facebook um, is focused on, on taking down the stuff that's causing the most harm first. So it, you're not really going to find an anti-vaxxer on Instagram because it just doesn't bubble to the top the same way it does on Facebook. 
one thing that's led to Instagram's success and also a difficulty I have as a user is that blurring blurred line, you know, between what's an advertisement and what's an actual post. Is this something, and at the beginning, you've you've written about how um, Kevin Systrom had to approve every single ad that ended up on Instagram. And now their ad platform is very much uh, just integrated within, within Meta. Is this a problem that still exists for Instagram, that line between what's an actual post and what is an advertisement? And what is Instagram doing to kind of solve for that problem? Well, the Federal Trade Commission in 2017 said that every ad on Instagram would have to be labeled as such. I don't think that's happened. I mean, I think that that there is such a blurred line even more now because you have creators on Instagram. They may have sponsored content or they may be just talking about a product they got for free or it may be their own merchandise, right? Um, And so the ambiguity over what what is being sold to you and what isn't is is so um is so there's so much ambiguity but also instagram is primarily about selling you people right like this person who's selling you this product you know they also want you to listen to their podcast they also want you to buy their merch they also want you to um you know send them tips on Venmo or whatever the case may be. Like there are all of these ways on Instagram that people are constantly selling. So I would say the line between advertisement and regular content, it's, it's even blurrier than it was when the FTC said you have to use hashtag ad, hashtag sponsored. Because there's no, I don't even know how you would, how the the federal trade commission would enforce that. Well, Instagram came up with a way they said that, you know, if you're working with a brand, you can, you can connect it on their advertising system. And so it can say, like, if I posted something, I could say in partnership with Starbucks, but not everything that you post that's selling something is going to be in partnership with a brand. Sometimes it's stuff you're, you're selling on your own or, um, you know, in partnership with another creator. (laughs) So it's complicated. Kind of separately. You talk to a lot of Facebook employees. You talk to a lot of Instagram employees off the record. What's it like to work for Mark Zuckerberg? You know, you've you've been around people who uh, have a good temperature of his vibe. Did they did they like working for him? Was it was it a hot cold relationship? What it what what did you see? I think you know Zuckerberg's the the, the big man on campus, and what he says goes. I think that the way that people think about working for him, it's like he has he has this way he he envisions the future looking and if you are providing something aligned with that vision he's all for it if you're not then you know don't even bother and he has the majority voting power he has the um you know the power at the company to get done whatever he wants to get done it's his show um i think that people people do enjoy, when they're up in the higher ranks of the company they do enjoy working with him if they are a product mind or an engineering mind, I think if you are on the operations side, the advertising side, the business side, you're not going to get Zuckerberg's attention, and you're not going to get his. Um, you're not going to get to see the side of him that makes everyone excited to work with him on on the you know building side of things. Which is which is probably why we've seen Facebook do 
this structuring of their company in such a way that like they're always thinking about growth. They're always thinking about what's next. They're always thinking about uh, products they can design and how they can they can crush the competition. And they're not thinking about how to clean up their messes. And they're not thinking about how to to you know retain the users they already have by making the product higher quality. Um, besides thinking about it in terms of the ways that it that can affect growth, like speed, like um, you know, getting rid of bugs. For our last couple questions, talked about some of the problems with Instagram, but it is an incredibly powerful force. It's changed the architecture of our world, whether it's more exposed light bulbs in coffee shops or sprinkles inside of multi-layer cakes. What are some of the surprising ways that you've seen Instagram really change the architecture of our, our visible world? I think one of the biggest is just how everyone can be an entrepreneur on Instagram. That's that's something it's it's really life changing. Um, you know, we think about the creator economy, we think about influencers. You probably imagine a bathing suit clad travel influencer getting free stays at a hotel in order to flaunt sunscreen products or whatever the whatever you have in your head when you imagine what an influencer is. Um, in reality, influencers or creators on Instagram are in every single category of visual business, whether you're in real estate or home design or um, you know you're maybe you're a, a motivational business coach or um, maybe you have a finance podcast. I, I think that there are people who um, use Instagram to create a brand. In, in almost every industry now, um, I've seen I've seen that become um, a double-edged sword because if, say you are a person who may get overlooked by the normal gatekeepers in society. You've always wanted to be a comedian, but you know, you're a black woman and you just haven't been able to get booked at the top clubs in LA because they all have white men. You can just start making jokes on Instagram, people will find them. You'll get, um, you'll get noticed and, and then maybe you'll get your big break. And I, I know that that's happened with a lot of people in the entertainment industry, um, and in other industries in the art world. The, the downside is, you know, it's really exhausting to constantly be a, a brand, really exhausting to have to constantly put up that, that image. And we've seen a lot of um, young people, for instance, comparing themselves to the the um, cool factor on Instagram and not realizing the corners that other people cut in order to appear um, more famous or more successful than they actually are. It's very easy to fake it on Instagram. It's very easy to buy followers, to buy comments, um, to manipulate the way your your face looks, get rid of your acne, whiten your teeth. And so if you are, um, you know, somebody who's trying to make it in the world, you don't know those tactics. Um, it can be quite depressing. You can feel inadequate. And especially, you know, people are getting plastic surgery to look more Instagrammable. And it's, it is also difficult too for, uh, I think comedy, especially stand-up comedy where it does give you that exposure, but you've constantly pressured to post and stand-up comedy is the kind of and thing somebody where somebody might steal your jokes and somebody <laughs> might, somebody might steal your jokes or, um, it might take it, it takes it could take months to to develop a joke and with Instagram you need to or, or in a lot of cases TikTok now for for comics you got to uh, pump out new material on a very regular basis to to keep up with your following. 
also real quick, just what are some of your favorite Instagram social media rabbit holes when you're trying to avoid work maybe after after doing a podcast interview? Oh, I love I love cooking things. Um, one of my favorite accounts is Pasta Grannies. It's these old ladies in Italy who um, make amazing pasta that they've made in their particular region for years and years and years. And um, that kind of content, I think, is is very feel good. I, I also like that during the course of reporting out my book, I've gotten to know um, people from various corners of the world. Um, and actually, since the publication of my book, too, I, I, I hear from people in various countries um, that I probably would not have heard from in the regular course of business. You know, somebody from um, from Mexico messaged me yesterday and somebody in Dubai. And um, and I think just getting to have that kind of open dialogue with with readers around the world has helped me become become more of a global re- reporter or like have that awareness that like these products um instagram for instance more than 80 percent of its users are outside the united states so we think about culture we think about that impact the economic impact the societal impact it's a very global one sarah fryer is a reporter for bloomberg news in charge of big tech coverage and the author of no filter the inside story of instagram sarah thank you so much thank you As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.